Well, good morning, and thank you again for the privilege to uh, just share uh, from the Word. I really have appreciated this study on Paul. I, uh, I, I think, I think all of us have kind of looked in. Of course, we. It's hard not to consider Paul when you're reading uh, a lot of the letters, right, in the New Testament. And uh, but it's been really good for me. This session especially has taken me a lot of time. <laughs> I know. There's just so many gaps in my understanding of what was going on in chapter 19. And so um, I think part of, the, um, part of the thing with learning is um, review, right? So I want to just review a little bit here. I'm going to pull this over a bit. And um, we're just going to actually take a look at Paul's trips. Paul took the first missionary journey how many years after he was saved? Anybody remember? Okay, it, it's not on there, so it won't, <laughs> it won't help you anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see uh, what's going on here. Okay, there we go. It, it's not in the notes, so you... Okay, it's about seven years, okay, that first missionary journey. So we recognize, even with all the background that the Apostle Paul had, you know, God had much to teach him. And uh, seven years. And those things are always a good reminder because we're so impatient, right? And, uh, you know, I work with a lot of young people and are, they're ready to jump into ministry. And, you know, that's a good thing. You appreciate the, the zeal, you appreciate the focus, but, you know, there's this aspect of, of readiness, right? And so God had, takes us on a journey. We see that typically with anybody that he uses uh, in the Old Testament, new, that it takes time. And, uh, you know, we have to honor that time, and, and I think it's good to keep evaluating Especially us older guys, uh, are we investing well in the young guys? Uh, because we need them, right? And uh, and they need to be developed. So seven years after, and uh, so Paul's going to take this first missionary journey. And of course, Barnabas was the one that took initiative, and he was reaching out. In chapter thirteen, we see the church of Antioch actually laying hands on them and recognizing them as. One sent out from Antioch. And uh, so they start this journey that's going to be about 1,200 miles. And it's going to take them about two years. And that was their first one. And that actually, when you look, we'll look at the map, we'll find out that was actually kind of a short uh, trip. But the reality of what they were stepping into, of course, and they took John Mark too, right? And I believe John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Is that the same, is that the same Mark? And uh, so they take young Mark with them. And um, this, by the way, is the last time that we see the order Barnabas and Paul. Uh, after this time, it's always going to be Paul and Barnabas. And so you see the emphasis on, on the life of, of Paul. And uh, <clears throat> so about 380 miles into the trip, uh, John Mark bails. And we don't know for what reason. But, uh, you know, Paul was kind of a, non, a no-nonsense guy, and it didn't sit well with him. And uh, so, like I said, for whatever reason, uh, you know, in, uh, in uh, <clears throat> Pergus, that uh, John Mark leaves. In Syria, I'm, I'm sorry, not Syria, Lystra, um, Paul is stoned and left for dead. So first missionary journey. And, of course, Paul knew the reality of what he was being led into. And Christ said, look, he's going to, you know, he's going to recognize the suffering that I have ahead of him. And so he, he prepared his heart for those things. I think that's so important. And uh, so um, they returned back to their home base, the, the church base there at Antioch. And uh, somewhere during that time, that's when Paul confronted Peter. And, of course, in chapter Acts 15, we have that chapter. I believe, Paul, you took that chapter. And uh, uh, was that chapter? Maybe not. I shouldn't go there because I'm not going to remember. 
Um, but that's when the council met together and say, what of the Jewish traditions do we really pass on and put the new believers under? So, you know, they had the council there. And uh, so well, quite a bit going on in that first uh, missionary journey. So then the second one starts just not long after that. And, of course, it starts with a pretty sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul, right? And uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, saying, come on, let's give him another shot. And Paul was like, no way. I don't want to get into the thick of things and have someone bail. And uh, so they parted ways. Kind of interesting, when I looked up a search in the book of Acts, I never see Barnabas' name mentioned again in Acts after that. And uh, now he is mentioned in other Paul's letter. And I believe that, you know, we know that the Lord brought them all together. The fellowship was restored, and Paul saw great value in John Mark uh, later on. But you know what? Thank the Lord for the Barnabas that reach into people's lives when it's risky, right? And uh, it really, every one of our life, it's risky. <laughs> it's always a risky investment. And I'm sure. Every one of us could probably say, yeah, you know, I really started to pour in this individual, and they just went off the rails, you know, and uh, so that happens. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to do that. So they go off. Uh, Paul takes Silas instead, and on the way, they pick up Timothy. And, um, you know, they had a desire to go to Asia, but it says that the Holy Spirit prohibited them in Acts chapter uh, 16. And, uh, you know, when the Lord closes one door, he opens another one, and he has the dream of the Macedonian man, right, calling out and say, we need somebody to come and help us. And it said immediately, right away, that's the direction that they went. And uh, so they went into Macedonia. And what happened? Uh, in Philippi, they get beat and thrown into jail, those are really important things to consider, you know. It's like, wait a minute, I thought God was leading us this direction. Like, why all the, why all the, the uh, contention and opposition? And uh, I hope as we go through these, these things, as we look at the life of Paul and recognize that, man, it took persistence. It took a conviction in Paul's heart that, no, God is leading us. And, uh, of course, there's going to be obstacles, so whatever it is in your life that God is challenging you to pursue, there's going to be obstacles. And uh, I remember uh, Deb and I had dear friends that came over from Europe, took our uh, our training, and uh, during one of the breaks, they just, they really needed to visit churches and kind of take a trip around. First day taken off, we don't know what happened, but in the vehicle, uh, they got off the road and completely and totaled that vehicle with the kids in the car. And uh, so it was close enough to the point of where they left off that they were able to get some help, take them back. And, he, and Walter calls me and said, man, I don't get it. Like, we were sure that God wanted us to go there, but look what happened. It, like, how do I know if God's saying, don't go there, or should I keep pushing ahead? And I said, Walter, in your whole life, God's going to lead you into direction, and they're always going to obstacles and he can he can he can uh, give you wisdom through counsel of others etc but no i think you should keep going get another vehicle and keep going and they did that you know and uh, but we do we hit obstacles right and uh, so they're throwing the prison then they go down to thessalonica probably there maybe a month uh, not real long they get thrown out of there, right? And then they go to Berea. But they leave, he leaves uh, Timothy and, and uh, Silas up in that area still, not that far away. Well, wouldn't you know the antagonistics from Thessalonica would follow them down to Berea and say, you know what, you got to kick these guys out. They're nothing but trouble. And so there's that pressure constantly following them. So where did he go from there? It says that, you know, it's, his friends said, look, we got to escort you out of here. We'll go down to Athens. So they traveled down to Athens. Timothy and, and uh, Silas stay up there. And um, I think, I hope during this session we can see just the internal struggles that Paul went through. 
And uh, we recognize that just Paul was a normal guy like you and I. And I said before, if, if the Apostle Paul came through that door, I'm sure a lot of us would go, what? That's not what I thought you'd look like, you know? He was just a normal guy. And, uh, and so constantly he, he was having to depend uh, on, on uh, Christ and, and the Holy Spirit directing and leading in his life. So he goes down to Athens, and uh, we know that had, everywhere he went, there was definitely open doors, so it wasn't just opposition, right? And uh, we see the, the unknown God, the opportunities it had. Then from there, he went where? Corinth, right? How long was he there? year and a half, that's right. And of course, when he goes there, I think still at that time he was alone. And then he he runs into Aquila and Priscilla and makes a really good bond right there. And, um, you know, they did tent making together. And I think he had, had, you know, God already had his people in place uh, to be a support to Paul. That's a, one of the amazing things that I see in Apostle Paul. And I will look at some of the names, but... Wherever he went, he, ne- he wasn't just an independent guy. He was totally dependent on the body of Christ. And he had, a, he had a huge team around him. And I think that's important for us, too, that we recognize that we're just not functioning independently. We're part of the body of Christ, even at the beginning there. And uh, <clears throat> so he's at this uh, time in, in Corinth, and we know the pressures that were there. And he was kind of given permission, hey, th- this guy can stay and teach. And, and that paved a way for Paul to have more liberty to be teaching then at that time. Uh, we know that he made some kind of an oath, a Nazarene oath. And uh, the, in Leviticus, it, it, it uh, specifies what needs to take place. We don't know what that was. But we do know that one of the things that when you're done with uh, uh, the oath and you shave your head, and he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And uh, that was really important because he went through Ephesus and uh, they really wanted him to stay there longer. But he said, no, I'm, on the, I'm determined to go there. And part of it was the Passover and the offering that came with the kind of the Nazarene vow, right? And uh, so he was kind of following through uh, with whatever commitment that he had made uh, to the Lord. Um, let me just wind the clock back a little bit in uh, when, I believe it was in when Paul was in Corinth and Timothy was still up in Thessalonica, that Timothy comes down to visit Paul. And he says, Paul, you know what? We got some issues up there. There's a misunderstanding. They think that Christ already came and that here they are going, they're not connecting the dots. Now, if you think about that, I, I, I thought, man, how would Paul be so far down that journey to understand all those end time things and that? But he did. You know, those are things that, that God in his grace was revealing to Paul for the church to understand. Then I thought this too. Uh, this was Timothy's first trip with Paul. And yet this shows us the level of confidence that I think he had in Timothy. That he left Timothy up there. Timothy came back. And we know First and Second Thessalonians was written from Corinth. And so it was like, okay, Timothy, let's straighten this out. Okay, this is what's going to happen. We read that in First First Thessalonians. So Timothy takes that letter and, and, and he works with that. And I believe there was probably either Silas or Timothy came back, had some more dialogue. Second Thessalonians was written within the year of the first one. And so Paul was busy doing that as well as his investment in the church of Corinth. So Paul moves over to Ephesus, short time, they're like, man, Paul, you got to stay here longer. Nope, I can't, I'm on my way. When he gets to Jerusalem, one of the things that he noticed is the terrible poverty that the believers were under right there. And that's important to recognize because from there he goes where? Back up to Antioch. And I love that because he recognized he's accountable to a church. And, uh, and again, never God's mission is always given to the church. And the church is to recognize and send those out. 
And we see that in the life of Paul. So uh, Paul stays there a short time. He leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. During that time that he's in uh, uh, Antioch, uh, Apollo, Apollos comes up from uh, North uh, Africa, Alexandria. Eloquent teacher that really knows God's word, but he got some voids in his thinking. So during that time that Paul is over here, Aquila and Priscilla are they're teaching and instructing him. Before Paul gets to Ephesus, he has a heart actually to go over to Corinth, and so he's not there when Paul gets there. Okay, we'll find out later. I don't know if we can cover it or not. But during this time that Paul is in Ephesus, Apollos does take a trip over, and I think he does it because I want to meet this guy. And uh, so he comes, and uh, so that's where we are so far. Have I missed any important milestones in there? But uh, hopefully that helps. Okay, um, let's go on here. So what I want us to look at Paul's heart. Uh, before he started his second journey, uh, this is what is stated in Acts chapter 15. It says, after some days, okay, where are they at? They're at Antioch. Okay, they did the first journey. They're at Antioch. They're, they're accountable to the, the, the church, the assembly there. And uh, they share all the things. And I think they're like, guys, you won't believe what God is doing out there. And uh, so they're reporting to Antioch. And there's a number of things that they've got to sort out. It's a, it's a transitional time. But it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which, um, I got my other one, sorry, I got to turn around and read it. Um, every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord, and I like this part, we want to see how they're doing. Want to see how they're doing. And Paul was a wise builder because he knew as soon as he left, Guess, guess what? The wolves would come in, and we see that constantly in his letters. Second uh, Tim, first and Second Timothy, which is written way back uh, a lot later. But he knew as soon as he would depart that somebody would come in and try to distort the truth. And uh, so it says there, uh, even in his second uh, trip. Now this is his third journey. Where are they at? In Antioch. Okay. Again, going back, reporting to the church. And uh, this was the heart. So this is one of his objectives. We're going to see two objectives on this second journey. The one objective is after he spent some time there, which is Antioch, he departed and went over to the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order uh, to strengthening all the disciples. And again, it shows a heart that it wasn't just evangelism that was taking place. It wasn't just get people to come into a relationship with Christ, but we've got to keep grounding them deeper, deeper into truth, deeper into God's word. And, uh, you know, so that they wouldn't be knocked off kilter, right? And kilter. And, uh, and so the word actually means to to help them to firm up the foundation and, and, and uh, cause them to really be solid and unmovable in their understanding. And uh, so that was, it shows us that Paul was, like I said, he was a wise builder. <clears throat> so if we look at uh, all three journeys there and the different colors right there, but, you know, there's, you can see the areas he just kept, going back to those places, and it would be an interesting study to see all the people that Paul said, you know what, you need to go over here. Uh, you know what, at this time, why don't you go over and visit this church here? That was constantly going on, just to make sure, just like we saw in Thessalonica when Timothy came down, uh, man, uh, let's get them realigned again to what truth is. And that's why it's so important, and that is the responsibility of the assembly to teach God's word. And when we, you know, when we start going off on, sometimes there are a lot of good things and we dial down our attention and study of God's word. That's a dangerous point because that's, a, you know, the church will get off track. And uh, 
But we see that, you know, Paul, if we look at his footpath, we see, man, no, he was constantly investing. And we're going to see even his deeper heart that he had uh, for the church. And uh, this was a chart. Again, this is uh, Paul leaves Antioch, and I believe that he won't see Antioch again after this time. So that's an important thing, too, at this point. So here he has this incredible relationship and friendship uh, with this assembly. And during the start of his third missionary journey, he leaves Antioch, and he's, they're not going to see him again. Probably members of there that have traveled with him, of course, would have. But Paul himself, we don't have any record of him going back uh, to Antioch right there. And uh, I mentioned the second objective, and the first one was that he would pour himself in and really ground the church deeper in their understanding of, of uh, you know, doctrine. The second objective was what? They can guess. Remember when he was at Jerusalem and the poverty that he saw? So in Paul's heart, when he left that, he said, man, the other brothers need to help these believers with a financial offering. So when he went, and you'll see, we don't see it in, in chapter 19, but we pick it up from other books. Uh, but he had a heart to get a collection together and, uh, and bring it back to help that church. A lot for us to think and meditate on that part as well. Um, one of the things that we see is uh, the importance of the church bases. And we had three, as we go through Acts, we recognize that there's three, if I can say, hubs that these uh, missionaries or workers you know what, today you'll probably see us stay away from the term missionary. And, and a lot of that has to do with the countries that we're going into. So even in our publications in Ethnos 360, we're using the term worker more. And uh, just because of the friction and the opposition of countries that we go into. So if I use workers or missionary, that, that's where that's coming from. We'll, we'll try to stick with missionary. <laughs> This is a safe place, right? <clears throat> so in this, we see first we have Jerusalem was the first Jewish church, right? And uh, you go, went to there, and mainly, I'm sure there was some Gentiles there, but mainly it was Jewish. And then up in Antioch, uh, it was pretty much uh, Gentile, uh, very interesting, and... Um, and so in Ephesus, we'll see that that became a really important hub for the church. And, uh, and that church was a mix between Jews and Gentiles. And I think why it's so important as we go on this journey with Paul, as we stop and think, okay, consider the letter to the church of Ephesus and how much was spent saying, you know what? God has broken down that wall that has been between Jew and Gentile. Now, why was that emphasis there? Because that's where the church was living. That's how life was playing out in that church. You had Jews and Gentiles. Like, how do we function and work together? Well, the first thing is, guys, remember, that distinction isn't there anymore. God is moving with a different plan. And so it helps us to understand as we're reading those books, you place them into the timeline, the context, the culture, and they begin to make a lot more sense. <clears throat> oh. Fuck. There we go. Okay, just, just another blow-up of uh, Ephesus. And uh, extremely important city in the Roman Empire, and it was the administrative hub for all of Asia. And uh, about a quarter of a million people were living there, and uh, <clears throat> it was only ranked behind Rome by two other cities, which was Alexandria and Antioch. Very prosperous city. And as a matter of fact, if you were to travel in, in Asia... You know when you leave out of a city and you see the mile markers, and so you might be 60 or 600 kilometers away, 
and there's a marker there, and it has a mileage on it. Well, in Asia, it all pointed back to Ephesus. And so that's how important Ephesus was to all of Asia, that people came back and their port of reference was Ephesus. And uh, I also circled right there, you probably can't see it, but that's uh, Patmos. And uh, that was the island, of course, that the Apostle John was on that uh, we received the book of Revelation from, right? And uh, kind of in proximity there. Okay, I'm going to go through these quick. Uh, These are just pictures of, uh, you know, that's the uh, big theater that was there. That's that's what would have been the place where the big riot took place. The Temple of Diana or Artemis. And uh, <clears throat> and this was a marketplace. And if you read Second Timothy, First and Second Timothy, you recognize that there was a lot of interaction right here. And again, this was where life was playing out. And uh, you know, these disciples, these apostles, they went to these places because that's where the people were. And uh, <clears throat> so. Let's uh, go to Acts chapter 19, and I want to read the whole chapter. Okay. And it happened. i got to be careful. I don't make any comments here. We're just going to read it. Okay. <clears throat> and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the, now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe and spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from there and, look, he withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jew, uh, Jewish exorcists took upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcists, uh, ex- how do you say that? Exercise, it's not that. Uh, by, the, <clears throat> by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was uh, leapt upon overpowered them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known both to the Jews and to the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And the fear uh, fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed confessed in telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit uh, 
when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, that he would go to Jerusalem, saying, After I had been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent to Macedonia two of them who ministered, um, two of those who had ministered to him, Timothy and Arias, <clears throat> Erastus. But he said, But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who who, uh, made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together uh, with the workers of similar occupation. He said, men... You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that no, it's not only here at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia. This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of failing into a dispute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana and may be despised and her magnificent uh, destroyed, uh, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they had heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and a Aristarchus, Macedonians, uh, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul went to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia who were, were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some others Uh, for the assembly was confused. Most of them did did not know why they even came together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, uh, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice they cried out for about two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk, who had quieted the crowd, and he said, Men of Ephesians, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and from the image from which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring the charges against uh, one another. But if you have another inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, and there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly, disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And of course, shortly after that, then in uh, the next chapter, which Steve will co- cover next week, uh, then Paul uh, left. Okay. Um, You know, one of the things that's interesting as we go through this is I believe that Luke was reporting this stuff secondhand. And, uh, you know, if you're studying this portion, it's like, man, I wish I had more detail. Like, there's not a lot of detail. And so you recognize that uh, he kind of covers, he breaks this down into kind of three of the big chunks that had gone on during Paul's two or three years there. And uh, the first one being the the disciples, right? So Paul comes down, he he meets these 12 disciples. And uh, and then the second portion is just the the miracles that God did through the life of Paul. And, of course, the third one had to do with the riot. So we'll just look at three of these things right here. 
And uh, I'm going to cover them pretty quick and because uh, <laughs> our time goes pretty quick. But um, <clears throat> the first thing that we see is, is uh, Paul comes down and he meets these disciples and uh, he's, he's talking to them like, wait a minute, what do you guys... What do you guys actually know? And uh, now, get you, how many years was this taking place from the time of John the Baptist? It's been close to 30 years. So 30 years, these guys are convinced that Christ is the Messiah, but they don't have all the story. And it's like Apollos, right? Same thing. So here, 30 years, we still have people that, Somehow, either maybe when they went to Jerusalem during that time, maybe they took this journey, obviously not very often for, because of the distance or whatever, but they did hear and they did recognize, you know what, we believe him to be the And they were baptized by John. And, and this baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was paving the way for Christ. It's not the same believer's baptism that you and I are familiar with. It kind of goes back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway of our Lord. And so it was a repentance to the Jew of, you know, a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the uh, rejection of Christ that we saw through their history. And God raises up this guy that he prophesied would come, John the Baptist, he said, man, he's coming, and uh, can't park too long there. But that's what that's referring to. And then Paul says, man, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what are you talking about? We never heard of the Holy Spirit. And so it says that Paul's prayed with them, laid hands, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And uh, <clears throat> I want to bring out a few things as we go through this. Is um, You know, in the book of Ephesians, Acts, we need to be really careful, and there are those that take uh, this historical account and they build doctrine around it. And do we today receive the Holy Spirit by the laying and praying on of hands? We don't, right? And uh, there are those that out there that highly promote that and other things that we see in, in Acts. But it's dangerous to do that. I, I just want to shoot up another flare too, because I know a lot of us do research on the internet, and I would just say be really careful. Uh, when you're looking at the internet, always go to the about page, do some investigation before you just grab stuff, and then compare that with other reliable resources that you have, because there's a lot of messed up teaching out there. And if I can say the wolves continue to exist among us, right? And so just for whatever it's worth, all right? But be careful. So as we talk, I have this picture here because honestly, as I was going through this, I thought, man, there are so many similarities of this chapter of what I experience when I go through North India. Now, they have those that earn a Big living, and I, I have pictures of them just in their little booth just hammering out these idols, and they're making money off of it. And if that goes away, they're in deep trouble. Uh, they got to find something different. And then as we traveled, I remember a once one uh, a trip that we made, and we visited five churches up. I'm going to use that term loosely, right? Uh, churches up there, and when I sat with them, I went, Man, oh man, what do these people know? And uh, they were just doing whatever they heard and they knew. They knew this, we don't want to follow Hinduism. We don't like Hinduism. We look at our parents, we look at generations, we see no hope that Hindu. We are followers of Christ. And you sit down and go, what do you know? Not very much. And uh, you know what? Those are the people that we want to move alongside of our trust in God. You know what? If their hearts are open, we want to invest in there and say, you know what? Let's go to God's word and let's see because he does map out. He does want us to understand. And uh, so when we look at the book of Acts, okay, let's be careful and recognize it's a transitional book. Victor touched on that a little bit uh, last week. 
Uh, but there's a new dispensation coming in. There's a, God is doing a, a different plan today. And uh, I just want to touch on a, a, a couple things. My slide is or, out of order here, but it's okay. But this is really important. When you're reading through the book of Acts, see it as descriptive, okay? What do we mean by descriptive? Luke is just saying, hey, these are things that happen. And God is moving from his focus from Israel to the, now the focus on the body of Christ, which is the church. And it's not prescriptive. In other words, it's not saying these are the things that you have to do. And when you take a prescriptive view of the book of Acts, that's when you're going to get skewed and you'll start following and you're like, oh, I got to do this. I got to lay hands. If someone doesn't lay hands, they're not going to receive the Holy Spirit. Or, um, man, let's duplicate this thing that Paul did and, and uh, let's sell these uh, cloths that people can get and they can be healed, you know. Anytime you try to replicate something that God did, it's always dangerous. It really is. And uh, we need to take great care in that. So as we look at Acts, uh, we, we see we're moving from a, a political kingdom to the body of Christ, okay? And another thing is just the, um, it's not just the Jews anymore, okay? It's together. It's the body of Christ. It's Jews and Gentiles. Again, going to India, and you look at how strong the caste system is, it's like, man, uh, that's a hard thing to work through. It's hard for the believers in India, if you're the upper caste, to, to come alongside of a caste that you viewed before, is even if their shadow crosses you, you've got to go home and get a bath. You know, and now you're bringing them together and say, you know what, you guys are equal. And uh, I tell you, that's hard, and that's what the church was going through. And then, of course, we see really a difference the Old Testament law to grace. And, of course, there's grace all the way through, but I think in the Old Testament, you know, you have grace, but it's kind of coupled with law. I would say it was kind of limited as far as the outworking, where today we don't have that at all, right? Uh, all things in Christ are given to us. Okay, the miracles through Paul. And I think it's important there that we see it wasn't about Paul because it starts right off. And it says that uh, now God worked. See, it wasn't had any nothing to do with Paul. Uh, it was it, it was what God chose to work in that location. And uh, it's interesting too that it says uh, that the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was magnified. I like that. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't some TV evangelist. It wasn't some whatever that was being magnified, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That should be another thing as we're looking at things, evaluating and say, where's the tension going to? And if the tension is going to anybody but Christ, then, then we should say, you know what? There's an issue somewhere. And uh, we have those things that, that help us. Uh, believers were burn, burning their fetishes and the books as evidence of the Holy Spirit's conviction. Uh, in their lives. And you could do the study and find out well, what were worth and they're worth. You know, I, I see all kind of numbers. I don't think that's important. I think what's important was there was such a work in these people's lives that the thing that was valuable to them before did not carry any value anymore and they chucked it in the fire. I can't imagine what a book would have been worth during that time, but you know, some of these other points I'm going to keep moving. Uh, we get the riot. And, uh, you know, I think probably a lot of us have looked at the riot at Ephesus. And so I don't want to park there too long. And uh, we could get into, you know, Artemis and, you know, all that stuff. And, and uh, it's kind of secondary. To me, I think what's amazing is the, is the miraculous work. Again, the power of the gospel, as we see in Romans chapter 116, the power of the gospel is it went up. You know what? They were turning the world upside down. And uh, you know what? That's the same gospel we have today. We're functioning in all the same oppositions today. And we can read these accounts, and it gives us great hope to say, you know what? The same power in the gospel that operated there is the same power that operates now. 
I want to spend the rest of our, our time, which a lot, but there's something going on in Ephesus as Paul is there that we don't even read about in chapter 19 that I think really was impacting the heart of Paul. And, uh, and that was his complex relationship with the church of Corinth. Um, just for time's sake, I'll make this PowerPoint available, and I don't have time to go through all these different steps, okay? But we know that there were actually four letters written to the church of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, you read, and Paul refers to a letter. And then, you know, there's, there's talk about another letter, and then we'll cover all that, okay? But for time's sake, so what I did, and, and this probably what took me quite a while, was just like, okay, wait, I, I don't have my head wrapped around that. Like, what did that actually look like? And uh, so what I did was I did, sorry, I'm going to skip this, and if you're interested in it, you could go. I would really encourage you, because when you were, read First and Second Corinthians, it will open up so much better understanding to recognize, okay, I see what's going on. So this is kind of a, this not this could be done a lot better, but let me just say that there was a letter A that came. So when Paul was at Ephesus, he writes this letter to Corinth, okay? And, um, and then a letter comes back. He talks about a letter comes back. And uh, so 1 Corinthians then is Paul's reply to those issues. And so that was the second letter, okay? And so we know there was taking people to court, there was abuse at the Lord's table, there was immorality, there were all these issues. There was, uh, you know, people saying, well, I'm from Apollos, and whatever about Paul, you know, we don't even like Paul. And uh, you can't trust what he says. He says, we're going to travel here, but then he changes He's a fickle being, you know. And so Paul is in Ephesus in 18 months investment in Corinth, and he's hearing this feedback. He sends Second or First Corinthians over. Timothy comes over and says, you know what, Paul, it's not going so good there. And there's all this stuff going on. Okay, so then what happens is Paul makes a quick trip over there. And, uh, you know, that's... He goes over and say, man, what's the deal, guys, you know? And uh, I tell you what, Paul's credibility was being majorly undermined. I'm going to take a few more minutes here. Um, and uh, you pick that up. If you jump to 2 Corinthians, it helps you understand, man, what in the world is Paul talking about? And uh, it's a book that you see Paul just bearing his heart open to the church at Corinth. And uh, it's like he's having to defend his position. And I know for myself some of the most difficult things in leadership is when you lose credibility or somebody attacks you. I tell you what, none of us like to put ourselves out there anyway. And I remember talking to one of our key leaders, and the meeting was in Europe, and this guy took me aside, and he was in tears, man. He said, man, I, I've... I'm being so attacked, I've lost confidence, I don't know how to gain my bearing again, and that happens. It happens to our leaders here, and that's a hard, hard place to be, and that's where Paul was at. So Paul goes over, and, and you know what, it didn't go that well, and uh, so he goes back to Ephesus. Okay, where does he go from there? Okay, uh, then there's a third letter, letter written, sorry, there's another letter that was written, and that's the letter that says, you know what? I had to really speak to you guys harshly. And uh, we believe that's not in 1 Corinthians, but it's actually a different letter. And he takes it over. Titus is involved in this. And so not just Timothy now. I don't know why. I know Timothy seems to be like he was kind of a timid personality. It's like, you know what, I, I got to send some. That's my speculation, okay? I got to send somebody out that's going to, going to really stand the ground. I don't know if that was the case or not, but Titus goes over, and uh, man, here they are waiting. I wonder what's going to happen. You know, is everything that we invested there, are these wolves going to completely devour uh, the things that we invest in there? So from there, Paul, by land, he goes up to Philippi, and while he was there, we know that, man, it was like, where's Titus? We, they were so anxious to find out, you know, how are things going? 
And uh, so waited, waited, and finally Titus does what? He brings a good report and said, man, Paul, you would not believe what the Holy Spirit is doing down in Corinth. And then, of course, uh, Titus, uh, Paul then writes uh, the letter of 2 Corinthians. And so when you're reading all that, it just kind of helps you put it together. And, and I believe those two letters were, were written without too much time transpiring between them. And then from there, Paul takes a journey down to, to there. And, of course, as he's making that journey, he's talking about, man, guys, pre, be prepared. I want to collect this offering for these impoverished people, our, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So he goes all the way down. And all the way along that journey, he's collecting uh, funds to, to pass on uh, to uh, the believers in Jerusalem. Okay. Um, and he goes by land all the way back, okay? And we know I'm not going to cover other guys' stuff. Um, here's the point, and you can't see this from here, and they say don't do this in a PowerPoint, but I don't know how else to do it, okay? But if you look on the right, it's all the touch points that we see at the Church of Corinth. And then on the left, you have all the individuals that was investing in that church. And, and this is what I take away from that, that it takes the body of Christ. You know, there's no one individual. And Paul got marginalized out of ministry. And you know what? He had to depend on other people. And there's times when I can speak into someone's life, and there's other times like, you know what, for whatever reason, there's just too static between us and somebody else has to step in and I have to, re I, I don't get offended by that. I just recognize, okay, I, I'm not the person to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, you see Paul's great care. This is my, uh, okay. Um, as we talk about what's going on while he was at Ephesus, when you look at that whole list of all the interaction and what I did was I just kind of grouped all those ones almost to the bottom. All that took place while he was at Ephesus. You see, you wouldn't read that in chapter 19, but we get that from the letters, and he refers to we're in Ephesus. Or, man, I really wanted Apollos to go back to you guys, but if for some reason he's staying here. I know you guys want him. I wonder if that was another sticking point. But, um, Okay. This will be my last slide. Um, just the importance of the hub church at Ephesus, and we know the seven churches addressed in Revelation. Uh, those were being planted during that time uh, that Paul was there. Sorry I went over, uh, but I really I put so much time in that I wasn't going to skip over it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>